episode 201 of the All the Books show, recorded at the David A. Howe Public Library, where we talk book news, author news, and literary news. I'm Eric Mickles. I'm Nick Gunning. Yeah. It feels weird saying 201 instead of 201. Yeah. Because we used to... Oh, I guess I said 109. Yeah, you say like 191, that kind of thing. Yeah. Not 100. And, yeah, I didn't say welcome to yeah. 100. It's like how for yeah. a while we were all saying 2001, the year 2002. Right. When did you stop doing that? Saying like 02 and 03? Yeah. Uh, probably the 10. No, the full 2000. Saying yeah. the full 2000. It's 2009. Oh, you okay. So yeah. So once you get to like once 2010, you, 2011. Yeah. Once you okay. start having to be in like, oh wait. Yeah. 2011. So it's been a while. Now I'm saying 20. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't because he was curious. like, do I say 2009? Seems like you might as well just say 2009. Yeah, it's Almost true. seems shorter. Similar. Similar. Yeah. It's like when you shorten barbecue to BBQ. Same amount of symbols, people. Yeah, I, I you know what I meant syllables and I said symbols. Yeah, so well, there's something what in the are air. letters if not symbols. You know what? <laughs> Thank you, Eric. Today we're going to be talking about sci-fi books, folks, because we are in the midst of the summer reading program, and our theme this year is a universe of stories. So we have some fun guests coming up on the podcast in the next couple of weeks. We'll get into that in a little bit. But everything we're doing programming-wise here at the library is is space themed, and so we're going to be doing Trek some ever... uh, space sci-fi episodes as well. Did Star Trek ever meet like an intergalactic space butterfly? Hmm. Was that ever a thing? Sort of. Because I wanted to start singing Butterfly in the Sky, but yeah. I was going to make it a space one. Right. Like, did Star Trek ever be like, it's yeah, a like the, butterfly? Yeah, uh, like the star jellies from like oh, okay. uh, Encounter at Farpoint, the first episode of Next Gen. Oh, yeah. There's those big like, Ooh, that kind of yeah. counts. Okay, yeah. cool. Yep. Well, there you go. Star yeah. Trek had butterflies. There you go. So we're going to be talking about that coming up. Uh, why don't we dive does, into the... Yes. Does Next Gen ever make you sad? Star Trek ever make you sad? Like in Next Gen with the Hollow Deck, yes, he's al- they're always like talking about experiences they can have on the Hollow Deck, and I'm like, yeah. it's kind of sad, yeah, because none of them are actually doing real right. things. It's mm-hmm. just kind of depressing. It's yeah. like, but if you put in the right algorithms, you can feel like you're at the beach. I'm like, or yeah, just go to the beach, get off the, take a vacation. Yeah, you know, just kind of like cold. I understand. I understand. Anyway, all right, let's get into the old bookmark. I read Deadpool versus The Punisher oh. by Fred Van Lent. Fred Van Lent. Thank oh, you. okay. Yeah. Uh, wrote Deadpool versus The Punisher. Yes. It was fine. Yeah. Uh, Those are not characters that I care about. So Deadpool or together. The Punisher? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You're anti. I don't know. Whatever I'm trying to think of. I, I don't uh, either. I guess I don't like the violence of those characters. That's <laughs> yes, not it something was I particularly enjoy. I, I, it's not a strong Punisher output, but there's uh, some funny stuff I in see. it. Like every issue ends with Deadpool figuring out that he's been tricked into helping the Punisher because the Punisher keeps <laughs> shooting him in the head. Uh-huh. And then Deadpool will wake up after his healing ability uh, cleaned up and everything. He's like, wait, where am I? I'm in the car. And he keeps saying he's had this crazy dream, but it turns out he's just recapping an episode of the Golden Girls. <laughs> and uh, every issue ends with Deadpool being like, wait a second, and then being shot in the head. Well, and then that sounds pretty funny. Um, and then also Deadpool and the Punisher are fighting at the end. Okay. And... Uh, Punisher goes to insult him by saying, you mother, and he can't because of being strangled. And Deadpool's like, wait, did you just say your mother's name is Martha? My mother's name. And then he's just like, holy crap, this changes everything. Wow. He just lands on the earth. I was like, I, this this is a big deal. That sounds <laughs> so, funny. But then uh, Punisher's like, my mother's name was Louise. And mm. Deadpool just goes, like, well, then you're dead, mother. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it was a funny time. Well, you came close to swearing there a couple of Almost, times. Almost, I would have so, had it edited out. Yeah, or give myself the... Uh, the old bleep. The... Uh, Magan, yeah, the, the Magan, Magan treatment. treatment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we had to bleep some swear words in our interview with Elliot S. Magan, but it's a great interview, so go back and yeah. listen. That's our Shazam yeah. episode. It was funny because he kept saying the F word, and after he said it about three or four times, like, oh, can I say that on the podcast? Or yeah. like, not really. We'll <laughs> fix it. I read uh, From the World of the Black Hammer, The Quantum Age, by oh. Jeff Lemire. What is the Black Hammer? I've talked about this. You insensitive. Wait, is your mother's name Martha? No. Oh, all right. Uh, the Black Hammer is the story about a bunch of uh, superheroes that are trapped on a farm in an alternate reality. They can't get out of it. Nothing ages. A uh, girl who has like Shazam's powers is trapped as a little kid, even though oh, she's like okay. 65. Oh, okay. All right. Yes. All right. I'm with uh, you. The Quantum Age takes place in their actual universe. Okay. And it's kind of like a Legion of Superheroes homage. That's fun. Uh, maybe if I liked the Legion of Superheroes, I would have enjoyed this more. True enough. But it was six issues, and it felt pretty pretty stretched out okay so it wasn't as interesting as the black hammer proper has been so uh, i also read walking dead 31 wow volume 31 that is a long-running series uh not much happened i gave it two stars i saw unfair i'm just a little like 
oh no, the place they're in has a dark secret, <laughs> kind of. I've been reading it for 31 volumes. You D- know. Is this show still going, Walking Dead? Maybe, I think so. Okay. I don't think anybody's happy with that, though. Okay. So He he said he was going to be ending, e- ending this comic soon. Yeah. But I feel like that was a false promise. Well, Invincible false just ended Robert Kirkman's other long-running yeah. series, Invincible. Well, I read Justice League Dark, uh, The Last Days of Magic. Oh, I liked that. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't like it? I didn't love it. Okay. It's making magic something very concrete. Okay. Instead of something a little bit more abstract and wild. And like you can do with this, it's just kind of defining it in almost in a midichlorian kind of way. <laughs> uh, for me, anyway. I, I saw on uh, Goodreads a lot more people like this than myself. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, I see. I approached the. I haven't read a lot of the magical characters. Yeah. And so I approached it pretty much with a blank slate so yeah. i had a good time yeah it's probably a good uh run through for new readers and i mean the stuff i'm talking about is a lot older so mm-hmm. it probably needs to be updated okay uh i st- am starting john steakley's steakley hmm uh book armor which is a sci-fi military book i don't think it, i don't know what awards it, if it won if any but okay. it's a it's a pretty famous old one, new I think, oh, uh, older. I think okay. it might be 80s i okay. could be wrong though i'd have to check mm-hmm. uh, I'm, from, I'm from the 80s yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You went right from 1980 to 1989 after mm-hmm. doing about like 30 years prior, three decades before the hmm. 80s. No, no, no. <laughs> Just kidding. 36. Um, I also saw Toy Story 4. Talking oh, about old. Okay. So yeah, uh, man, it's more than 20 years since Toy Story 1. I know. Some okay. Somebody must be wanting these movies to happen, right? I, I guess Toy Story 3, which you haven't seen, so I can't talk too much, was a pretty perfect ending. Mm-hmm. It, almost as perfect as you can get an ending for okay. these Toy Story films. And that was kind of my thing. Like, I don't want to see Toy Story 4. Yeah. I love Toy Story 3. Mm-hmm. It was great. But it was a good time. Okay. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, the the other, like the larger cast of toys from mm-hmm. the Toy Story films is kind of not really mm-hmm. well uh what am I thinking? Uh, they're like not really used. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, you've lost uh, Don Rickles yeah. and Jim Varney. Yeah, you've lost those cast. voices. Um, so, but the characters just kind of hang out while other stuff is happening. So it's much more of a just almost like a Woody solo film, meeting okay. new characters. But it was good. I laughed. I cried a uh, few times. Okay. Early's right. got teary eyes. Okay. You know, let's not. And you cried. It was mm-hmm. funny. Now this seems like a pretty good ending. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Yeah, until Toy Story Five. I yeah, this one though kind of leaves it like, boy, they can't do another one, can they? Mm. Maybe they can. Yeah. Uh, Keanu Reeves as Duke Kaboom is pretty funny. He's okay. Canada's number one stuntman action figure. I you mean, remember those like toys that have like elbows? Yeah. And he's one of those toys yeah. with his own motorcycle, like the bike riding toy. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony Hale is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. I we spent the whole movie trying to figure out who Forky. Mm-hmm. was the spork toy that the little Tony girl, Hale yeah. of Veep and Arrested yep. Development fan. And as soon as we saw his name, it was like, oh, of course. That that would have made it a lot more sense. Makes perfect sense, yep. Uh, also, I didn't mark this down, but I watched the first three seasons of uh, Silicon Valley. Oh, okay. Last, in this past week. What What is that on? HBO. HBO, yeah. okay. It's Comedy? Yeah, it's a comedy. It's okay. by Mike Judd. J- Am I saying that right? Beavis I, and Butthead. I don't know. Oh, okay. Office Space. Uh-huh other things i think okay uh it's it's funny and i think this is intentional but maybe not with the main characters the main character sometimes i'm just like shut up mm. you're making he's just like now we lost the million dollars like boohoo and it's funny because at the start of the fourth season they're talking to this guy to get funding like and we can't get funding to scale up and we can't pay for our server so we need funding mm. and the guy's like oh i'm sorry is it hard becoming a billionaire <laughs> and i'm like that guy just spoke for me uh-huh. i appreciate that with his face and his tone but it is pretty funny a lot of uh so is it like a like a 30 minute like sitcom feel or is it more yeah, it's 30 minutes oh it is uh, okay it's serious though okay all right well uh i i worked the election last week so this spiked my graphic novel reading a little bit so i'm gonna give you a did couple punch, of the uh did they have a punch bowl and you run over with your graphic novels no but i'll tell you what there what? was no microwave in my polling place and that Ooh. really threw off my food game for the day did you bring food to be microwave to microwave yes i did but my wife came and brought me dinner so i was i was okay but yeah is this do they normally have microwaves yeah i'm sorry was usually they're in a fire hall or community room or right. something and but nothing yeah this time there was no microwave Music? anyway uh, I, I actually, well, I'll get to it because I, I, uh, I did some serious uh, binge watching while I was there. Soul searching. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so here's some of the things I read. Han Solo, Imperial Cadet. So this is a graphic novel from our collection. Uh, this is set in the new Solo movie continuity I, during uh, Solo's time as, as an Imperial Cadet. I hate 
this kid's face on this cover. I, I hate that they're using the new kid's face on solo stuff. I, I mean, I guess that makes sense yeah. for synergy. Yeah. But I hate I'm just shocked that they're doing anything. Yeah. I read one book that's set in that continuity called Most Wanted. It's a YA, which we have. Uh, Ray mm-hmm. Carson wrote it. I loved it. I thought it was really good. Um, but I have not liked any of the graphic novels that have spun out of this movie. And mm. this was... This was just drab and colorless, and there was no there was no charm. It was just a real slog. Hmm. Did you want to make a joke about the solo movie? No, I oh, think it okay. speaks for itself. Cool. Uh, Flash, lightning strikes twice. This is the first of the rebirth Flash. Again, we have this whole run in our collection, so come check it out. This was also a bit of a slog. They're trying to sort of bring it in line with the CW TV show, which is not a version of the Flash that I like. Uh, I read Iron Man, Heart of Steel. This is uh, aimed at a younger grade, and it's just the Iron Man origin story. I read Red-Headed Stranger, a Spider-Man graphic novel that deals with uh, Mary Jane coming back and the villain, the chameleon, posing as Peter Parker and kind of screwing up his life. So that was fun. I remember that. I read Alpha Flight, Volume 1, which was cool. I don't really know much about Alpha Flight. They're Canadian superheroes. And in this one, they're kind of on the outs with the official government. So they're sort of like a rogue superhero team. Really enjoyed it. I read Wolverine First Class, The Rookie. This is where Wolverine takes send me any of these Kitty Pride under his wing. Well, you read that too, right? Must be in yours. I'm saving it. Okay, <laughs> uh, Wolverine First Class Rookie uh, is where he takes Kitty Pride under his wing. And then I read Spider-Man Silver Surfer, which is a misnomer. Everyone, this is in our is this is in our collection. Uh, it's four issues. Two of them are Fantastic Four stories with the Silver Surfer. One of them is Galactus, which has neither Silver Surfer or Spider-Man, and one. Uh, is a one from the '60s that does contain both Spider-Man and Silver Surfer. So, very you Spider-Man like copy. I did because I've been reading them on my Marvel Unlimited app. Okay, and so I don't get the reprints. I see. So I think uh, Wolverine First Class also includes like X-Men reprints. Oh, I see. And because uh, I was reading on the app. I okay. No, this was actually just one through four. Okay. Just one through four of the first series. Oh. Uh, the last, I think, five that I mentioned there, uh, written by Fred Van Lent. And the reason why we're boning up on some of his past work is because uh, Fred's going to be joining us on our podcast next Fred. week as we discuss the character of Spider-Man, which he's had a long association with, uh-huh. as well as many, many other things. Worked yeah. on Hulk, Fantastic Four, Iron Man, Spider-Man. Uh-huh. Got a new series coming out right now. We'll dig into all that next week. Uh, so we'll talk about that a little bit more. But I enjoy. I had a pretty good uh, run with these graphic novels overall. Yeah. I enjoyed them. I'm still reading a bunch. Okay. He created the character Scorpion, uh-huh. not the X, not the Spider-Man villain, but like a, I think a tangently related to the Hulk. Oh, okay. In that she, uh, but that she has familiar. like Scorpion sting powers on her hands. She's kind of like a secret agent. Was she ninja in the type. Was she in the Incredible Hercules run at all? Yes, that he did. She showed up. Okay, once yeah, because I, I did read that forever ago. But anyway, well, I think it's his character so i think he brings it along he brings her along yeah whenever he's writing stuff that makes sense anyway join us next week for our spider-man spotlight with Mm. author fred van lent uh i finished a couple of novels i finished rough beast of empire by (laughs) david r george iii this is part of the star trek series the typhon pact uh this was not good this was dumb typhon this was basically just uh it felt like deleted scenes that were rightfully deleted so is that uh spock's dad who on the cover no it's spock and uh Ben Sisko from Deep Space Nine. That is an elderly spot. It is. This is, uh, if you're following this series at all, or if you ever plan to, you could skip this without missing a beat. Wow. And then I finished The Loneliest Girl in the Universe by Lauren James. So this is our YA for Adult Book Club. We're going to be discussing this book later in the month, and we're going to have Lauren James on the show. We're going to interview her about uh, Loneliest Girl in the Universe and some of her other books. Now, I've been hogging the copy, so you haven't read this yet, right? That's right. I think you're going to like it. It moves quickly. And is is a it's a good plot. Basically, it's a it's a little scary at times. <gasps> it is just a I little was just bit. Just joking. Just a little bit. Oh no. Just a little bit. Uh, it's it's about a, a colony ship that NASA sends, you know, to start Earth two basically. Yeah. And it's going to be a generation on this ship, and something happens that leaves one teenage girl as the only person on this colony ship, mm. and she's just there for the foreseeable future. When I say she's a passenger she's the loneliest girl in the universe anyway ya book very good we have it on audio and in hardcover so if you haven't read it read it and then join us for the book club which is going to be the 25th i believe and Mm -hmm. end of july yeah july 25th and you can tune into the podcast featuring the author lauren james and we're going to be doing that one probably the very last uh, second to last week of july we're going to be talking to lauren uh that's it for me book wise i did a few other things that i wanted to mention before we move on while I was working the election, we had big slow down periods, and I binge watched the entire last season of Veep. 
The whole last season. The whole last season. Nice. So season six. Yeah, that's the second to last. Yeah. So I've totally finished the show. Uh, If you haven't watched this show, I I feel like you got to run out and do it. Uh, It's it's just so clever, and Julie Louis Dreyfus is just amazing in this. We were just talking about this the other day. She's the way she moves from Seinfeld to the New Adventures of Old Christine to Veep, playing really hilarious characters in completely different ways. You know, she she manages to sort of reinvent herself and and portray a character in a totally different light that's still hilarious and still very compelling to watch. And I think with Veep, if you're not familiar with the story, she starts out as the vice president, a very uh, nobody wants to talk to the vice president, sort of true to life. Uh, and she is just sort of a, an ugly and unlikable character who is somehow likable and you still kind of root for her even though she is the absolute worst. So she just manages to sell this show. It's seven seasons. I don't um, know. I, I've gotten to the sixth season and now I'm not really rooting for her anymore. Well, yeah, yeah. Sixth season, I've just been like, I don't want her to win. Yeah, this it's true. for everybody. It's true. Um, oh. But it's still, I mean, it stays so compelling. And I think yeah. it's a very difficult show to end, but I think they did it just right. All so. Right. Uh, catch up on Veep if you if you haven't done that already. <laughs> and I saw the movie Booksmart, uh, directed by Olivia Wilde. We saw this in theaters, and it was hilarious. Did you do this it for was... bragging rights? Because everybody's no. saying go see Booksmart, but nobody's going to see Booksmart. No, so oh really? Done... It's got such good reviews. It things. does, but okay. it's kind of bombing. Oh, uh, well, we did see it wise. in the the cheapy movies. Yeah, so but and everybody's like, theaters. oh, modern theaters are ruining everything. Mm, well, it was oh. actually very funny. Yeah. It was it was to me I was watching this and it was like if if Ladybird and Superbad had like a love child, it would be Booksmart, oh. I feel like, because this it is has directed by Olivia Wilde. Olivia Wilde, yeah. So, um, I didn't know she was directing. I feel like this is her first thing. She's she, not she's not in she it. She directed the ba- uh, Dark Necessities music video for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Interesting. But I didn't realize she was well, like directing I guess she cut her teeth with the Red yeah. Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. Jason Sudeikis was in it. Oh, okay. Which, who's her husband. Yeah. Would I know any of these two uh, actresses that are on the poster? I don't anything? know. One, one of them was also in Lady Bird. Oh. And the other is on that. Uh, or oh. I don't think she is anymore. But the other okay. was on that uh, Tim Allen show, Last Man Standing. Oh. She played the youngest daughter on okay. that. No, that was I, the only place I, I know was the Lady Bird character now. Thank okay. You. All right. Um, so anyway, it was really, it was hilariously funny. So yeah. if, if you have a chance, I'd go and see that. Was this rated R? It was. Yeah. Yeah. And it. It earned that R rating. <laughs> Let me tell you what. Let me tell you what. So does it, Veep, for that matter. It's so. about two girls that spent their whole high school time just being book smart and chasing grades and yeah, everything. Yeah, and then they kind of find out that everybody's going to college and right. like they kind of wasted their time. So they've got just like a short window to go and like have fun. And right. So they do. All right. So it's it's a great cast. It's just a very funny movie. Okay. Uh, and then we also do we uh, can we roll our little segment? Oh, you want to play the segment? Can we do that? So over over the weekend, my brother Stephen, who's been a our, one of our guest hosts many times here, uh, he and I went to see the Marshall Tucker Band over at Trout Run right here in Wellsville. It was Zor and the Marshall Tucker Band, uh, and we recorded little segments before and after, so you can tune in and hear about our experience over oh. at the uh, Trout Run, and you can check out uh, so the greatest hits and Carolina Dreams by the Marshall Tucker Band, which we. We have right here in the collection at the David A. Howe Public Library. All right, well, I'm coming to you live here from Trout Run out in Wellsville. I'm with one of our frequent guest hosts, Mr. Stephen Van Valkenburg. Stephen, welcome. Thanks for having me. It's been such a long time since you've been in the show. What was the last time? Wow, my gosh. Has it been anything since uh, James Patterson? Oh, no. Well, that broke your brain. Yes. So uh, I'm still recovering as we speak. I believe you are. Steve and I are here at Trout Run in Wellsville. We're getting ready to see Zor and the Marshall Tucker Band. Um, now, I've never heard Zor before. Have you? No, no, I haven't. But they're good, though. Uh, yeah, and of course, we're uh, we're both big fans of Music Alley, so we've seen Rick in there many times and have purchased many things from many, there. Many, many things. In fact, we each have an album of the Mar- Marshall Tucker Band from Music Alley. All right, so Talk we're... Local, everybody. That's right. <laughs> Steve, how familiar were you with Marshall Tucker Band before this? Uh, not overtly. They did have one song I really like called uh, Can't You See oh, that yeah. I've heard throughout my life, but yeah. it didn't really quite attach to anything, but I've always liked that one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm about the same. I knew that one. I knew her a love song and basically the hits, uh, but I was pretty excited to see them right here in Wellsville. This is my first time at Trout Run, my first time seeing Zor, and of course, my first time seeing Marshall Tucker. Are you excited? I am. It's a good atmosphere, a lively crowd. Seems like it'll be a good time. Absolutely. All right, well, Zor's just about to start, so we're going to stop talking. We'll check back in after Zor, and then again after the Marshall Tucker Band. Thanks, everybody. See you guys. 
All right, Zor just wrapped up. Uh, they had one broken snare drum that they had to fix mid-show, so that proves it was a good show, right? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, if they're breaking... Any measurable standard, I'd say that's a good... Yeah, once once instruments have actually been broken, you know that there's some hard rock happening. I was really impressed with them overall. Yeah, me too. Like I said, it's the first time that I'd heard them, but I thought that they they did a really nice job layering in originals and like popular covers, and I thought the originals just sat really well with them. They did. They were compelling on their own, even in addition to the ones that everybody knows and loves. They stood their own pretty well. Absolutely, absolutely. They tried out some new material here too, which I appreciated. So, yeah, I was—I uh, thought they were amazing musicians, like each of them. Yeah, the guitar playing was incredible. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, the drum—he—he he yeah. broke the drum. So you he know, broke the drum. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I really like the Stones cover. They did a Stones. Uh, I like the Tom Petty cover, too, and I wasn't really familiar with that song. Oh, yeah, that's an old favorite of mine. American Girl by Tom Petty, always a classic. Nice. They also did Hard to Handle, which is always a crowd favorite. Who's that? That is, I've seen. It's uh, Black Crows, I believe. Okay. That's a pretty good one. Nice. Yeah, well, like I said, I mean, these hometown boys, and I was really impressed with them. So Yeah, me too. If you like a good classic... Almost southern rock mixed with a nice country vibe. These are your guys right there. Yeah, but I, you know, they were they were really pretty versatile too. You yeah, know, they covered a lot of different styles and genres, and I thought they switched uh, among those different genres pretty easily. Yeah, I would agree. All right, so now we're just kind of chilling, hoping the weather holds. So we had a little droplet of rain here and there, but skies are looking clear. Uh, it's pretty packed, wouldn't you say? I'd say so. Everybody's here to have a good time. We got here nice and early and got a decent spot here. Uh, and we also discovered that Steve has been in an episode since James Patterson. Yeah, sorry to mislead you all. Yeah, I was there for the Jack Reacher spotlight. Yeah. Episode 116, if you want to go back and view that, soundcloud.com slash all the books. And we do have Marshall Tucker Band albums in the library collection. So if you weren't able to make the concert tonight, you can check those out. Maybe Steve and I will check them out afterwards. <laughs> all right, Marshall Tucker Band coming up. We'll check in again afterwards. Thanks, everybody. Well, Steve, we did it. Yes, we did. <laughs> uh, so we just we just finished Marshall Tucker Band. We're in Steve's truck. We're heading home. Uh, Steve, what's your takeaway? I think it was, it was it's good to hear some songs that I knew but wanted to know more of, and hear them in a live setting where the energy was all there and made it more accessible. I'd say. Yeah, I know what you mean. I I think I think my major complaint would be I don't like in concerts when songs devolve into just a super long jam do you like that no i'm not a big fan of that either in certain spots it can be useful as a good tool to get the crowd motivated for really like feeling the vibe of the song but when you do it frequently and not with enough variation it loses its edge for me yeah i agree and it's sort of uh it kind of every song did that yeah you kind of got to pick and choose when you do things like that but it was just number after number was an extra five minutes of yeah. guitar playing, which was, you know, it was good guitar playing, but it's just, at a certain point, it loses some of its, you know, luster. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Chris Hicks on guitar was a standout for me in that band, don't you think? I'd say so. There was a song he did called uh, Doggy Dog World that I found particularly enjoyable that I did not know. But. Yeah, you know, I didn't really know that one either, but um, I, I said earlier, we have their greatest hits in our collection, and we have Carolina Dreams. Uh, Carolina Dreams is a great album, don't you think? Yeah, that one's pretty solid all the way through. And the greatest hits, uh, actually quite a few from Carolina Dreams are on the greatest hits, but I'll tell you, it made me want to go and listen to the greatest hits again, because I, I do really like a lot of those songs. But uh, I've got a controversial statement here, Steve. Lay it on me. I think it was Zora's Night. I would say so. I, that was a pleasant surprise. I, you know, you never you never know how much to expect from an opening act, but yeah. they delivered. They were solid. They were entertaining. They were funny. They had a good mix of covers and originals, and very entertaining, I'd say. Yeah. I think, you know, they, the history of the Marshall Tucker Band, like, that that sort of wins out in that way because it was it was really neat to see that, like, live up there on the stage. But I think as far as, like, song for song, how much was I enjoying myself, I would give it to Zor. I would, too. It's nice because you have... Marshall Tucker Band, which has such a longevity, and it's good to be, see a part of music history, like in person. But uh, as far as just straight entertainment, I was really in for Zor the whole time. Yeah, I totally agree. But I do recommend the Marshall Tucker Band. Uh, like I said, stop into the library and check out the greatest hits or Carolina Dreams or any other one we can get for you. Or uh, they're also available on Freegal, so you can download or listen to them that way with your library card. Uh, overall, I had a good experience at Trout Run, don't you think? I would say so, too. It's, it's a beautiful place. Yeah, and it worked pretty well to have a concert just out in the field like that uh, under the sky. We had, we're a little scared about rain here and there, but no problems. Nope. Went right away. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, Steve, thanks for joining me for this special uh, 
off the book segment here as we as we explore Trout Run and listen to Zora and Marshall Tucker Band. Uh, you can check out both online, and we have uh, lots of CDs right in the library. So, thanks, Steve. My pleasure. Well, thanks again to my little brother for uh, joining us on a little uh, off the beaten path episode that we did there. Uh, you know, what you, what you don't hear in that is shortly after we recorded that while driving home, uh, his truck started billowing smoke and we got stuck on the side of the road, limped a little farther, then got stuck again and had to call around to try to get somebody to come and rescue us. Uh, why didn't you record that stuff? Yeah, I guess we should have. That's the good stuff. It was it was more stressful. It oh, was okay. only like the second day he'd had that truck, and so it was <laughs> a bit of a a bit of a stressor. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we did it. We did it. We made it home. Good. We do oh, have yeah. some book news that happens, and that I was just complaining about. I thought Walking Dead was supposed to end soon. Oh yeah. Uh, so the comics that I just read in the Walking Dead Volume Thirty One were issues one eighty one through one eighty six, and apparently tomorrow's issue number one ninety three is the last issue of The Walking Dead. Oh, they're going to end seven issues away from 200? I, I thought the same thing. Oh, like, my that gosh. Is, why would you do that? Just, oh. write a, just write one more arc. Hold on. Arc. I'm going to throw up. Just yeah. 193. So. Wow. Imagine if we had ended the podcast at episode 193. You can't do it. And then you're like, no, we almost made 200 episodes. You can't episodes. do it. Every, every day, every other time you talk to somebody, he's like, yeah, we almost made 200 yeah, episodes. Yeah, almost. Oh, did you? No, no but not really. you can imagine what it would be like if we did. <laughs> So, but there you go. All right. Uh, I got one more trade, I guess, to read of Walking Dead. I guess you do. I'm ready. You are. You're ready. To, oh, yeah. You're ready to be released. This isn't one of yeah, those things. It's like, where, like a, it's like a long running show where you're just sort of like, look, I've got so many years invested into this show. I've got, I've got to see it through. I can't yeah. stop now. Grey's Anatomy. I, yeah, I've been reading, uh, reading each one of them as they come out. But yeah, it has definitely been. How like long has this series been going? 2004? That's a long time. Five? That's a long 2006. time. 2006. Nope. 2004? Well, two, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I started reading today. it when Vault, the trade for volume two was oh, out. Oh, okay. So, like, so you got in on the ground floor. Almost. Good um, for you. Yeah, so I, re- I bought the first two trades, and then I just kept buying them for a while, and then I started... Do you, do you count... I mean, I guess technically you have to count zombie stories as science fiction, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I guess they, it just feels... Zombies, to me, sort of feels like its own subset. I guess it depends. Like, yeah. I don't watch George A. Romero's zombie films as sci-fi as films. Sci-fi, I watch those right. as just zombie films. What about, like, wor- World War it's, Z? The book, yeah, I think is sci-fi because it's more post-apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. Um, and the zombie pl- has passed and everything. Right. Um, but I think zombies the sub-genre, sub-genre of its own of horror. So I think you can have sci-fi elements in mm, it. But. That's true. It's always It always gets tricky when we, we're trying to decide if a book should go in sci-fi or not. Yeah. Because it's so, because you say horror, and that makes me think mm-hmm. of like vampires and werewolves and things. like mm-hmm. That's more horror than sci-fi, but sometimes right. it really is straddling the line of where you want to put it. Yeah, I think it's... I, with that stuff, yeah. I think it becomes like urban fantasy yeah with like werewolves and vampires that makes sense or something like uh like magic like the dresden files would yeah. you put the dresden files as sci-fi no they go in the fantasy, fantasy. urban fantasy is its own subgenre of fantasy right. like the magic in the world that we live in yeah it's just happening like in back alleys okay and, in subway cars okay so yeah well uh today we're going to be talking about science fiction stories in the basement bars <laughs> Okay. That's uh, Rush's subdivision. Ah, uh, okay. Well. <laughs> be cool or be I think out. I think we both knew that I wasn't going to get that reference. Oh, but, but, but yeah. Um, anyway, summer reading programs in full swing. Universe of stories. Here we go. Science space. fiction. The Final Frontier? No, it's just... Yeah, it is. Okay. So... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, we posed this question to our listeners, and we got quite a bit of feedback, so we're probably not going to get to all of it, but we're going to mention some of your favorites as well as some of ours. So Eric and I have... Did you say smars? I did say it weird. <laughs> We've settled on doing a top three That's between right. the two of us. My yeah. top three, your top three. Yeah. Um, I had a few honorable oh, mentions. You know I might drop I out there. your top three as well. I prepared my top three and what and I think my is your top, top three. three. Yeah. I actually would yeah. kind of be interested to know what you think my top uh, three would be. All right. Book number one. Don't say the ones I just told you. Uh, uh, a Life okay. by Paul right. McCartney. He doesn't have it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> he doesn't have it. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to do that. We're going to stick to our top three. I have a couple honorable mentions that... Uh, I mean, I'll just, I'm going to get one of the honorable mentions out of the way right now. And that is Battlefield Earth by Mr. L. Ron Hubbard. Uh, the reason why... 
the reason why I'm not putting this in my top Andy is... I love this book and movie. Nick loved the movie more than anything. I hated I that movie. I hated that movie. I, I truly believe that is the worst movie I've ever seen. Uh, we talked about it on Eric's uh, podcast, Three Nice Things, where we just... we the, the whole purpose was to try to come up with nice things yeah. to say about Battlefield Earth. And that is about as pleasant as trying to do like knee surgery in a battlefield. It was awful. It wasn't very hard. It was. Um, <laughs> we talk. I we do a deep dive into this book in episode one ninety four. So I'm not going to talk about it much Boy, now. But don't we? But this book is. Uh, it was like we were sitting around the fire. Yeah. And Nick was the wizened old storyteller. Yeah. This was after a, we just passing our, down an oral tradition. A woolly mammoth. Nick is like, come, my children, yeah. hear the story of Barry Pepper. Yeah. But listen, <laughs> Johnny I'm, Good Boy. It, it is. A, it's a crazy book, but there's a lot of interesting things going on. The character dynamics yep. are really compelling. <laughs> the even the like the dumb villain that Travolta played is a good character. Their relationship is unique. You it's, think you have leverage on it's me? It's a thousand pages, and the movie makes you think it's terrible, <laughs> but it's not, and it's fun, and you should read it if you can stand the thousand pages. So that's my honorable mention. That's not in my top three. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I, re- I reviewed that with a three-star because there's mm-hmm. a lot in there where you used to think, oh, that's dumb, but mm-hmm. so much good is going for it that it kind of carries you through. Mm-hmm. You know, You don't feel the weight of the thousand pages. Anyway, uh, why don't we do a listener response? You got one? You got one you want to share? At Sem Marketer. Twitter. Uh, on Twitter. Uh, said Ender's Game. The Ugh. book. I love the book Ender's Game. Nick oh, doesn't. come on. Uh, Nick's uh, childlike uh, whimsy was destroyed very young as a small toddler. I just... But... <laughs> We we did this for a sci-fi book club. Way my, before I showed up. Yeah, my very first year here, one of the first book clubs, mm-hmm. and no one came. No one it's came. not the book's fault. Nobody well, comes to anything. No, usually they do come to, especially then, book clubs were, mm-hmm. were happening. And that, it was the first time I tried to get a little sci-fi in there, mm-hmm. and people weren't having it. It was actually part of my first summer reading program here. Ender's Game has retroactively become a young adult book. Yeah, so I'm a little bummed by that. But really, it's such a childish book. I mean, the you're a childish son of a babe. <laughs> I mean, the only characters you follow are like 11 years old, and they say fart every five seconds. Well, that's how kids talk. So it's a YA. Were you novel. 11 and you didn't say the no, word fart? No, I'm just saying. Like, I think Ender's Game is is a YA novel. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's like retroactively become anything. It just seemed like the book's very good. I. But Nick, disagrees. you know what? No, no, I, I am, I fully admit that I'm in the minority here of people who have read this book and mm-hmm. hated it. But Speaker for the hated Dead, I did. Speaker for the Dead, the sequel is as different as a sequel can be, and I re- really like that one as well. Hmm. So, wow, I haven't read any other series. Okay, the Zeno, Zeno side, I think, is like the third of this like unofficial trilogy. Okay, well, yeah. Thanks for this guy on Twitter trolling me. <laughs> um, all right, let me let me do one of my top three. Okay. And I'm not going to do it in any particular order. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the first one that I want to talk about is called On Basilisk Station by David Weber. So this is... What? Not one you sent me. Yes, it is. No. Okay. Uh, this is by David Weber. It's the first of the Honor Harrington books. It is. Uh, it follows uh, Honor Harrington. It's sort of on her first command and she's she gets tossed in this ship and there's a lot of like political intrigue in these books it's a long-running series it's continuing to this day uh it's expanded beyond david weber and includes some um includes some other writers like timothy zahn for example coming in sort of writing within the honor verse but this is the one that kicks it all off and i don't think that it's one that like if you read this first book you have to keep reading it forever uh you don't so i i think that it's uh it's really it's compelling because honor Honor as a character is... Is this the first book, did you say? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I haven't read book. a single one of these. Really? But I know people who have. Yeah, you know, many. I probably read... Uh, my friend Jesse, who joined us for the Timothy Zahn episode, mm-hmm. uh, is a huge fan of these. And when he, he was moving somewhere, and he was like, here, take these, read them, you'll like uh-huh. them. So he gave me a big stack. And I read probably five or six. And when you meet Honor in the first book, a lot of her thing is that she's just sort of like... She's coming from a humble place. Uh, as a character, she's sort of like she's confident and she's she's firm, but she's not like overly ambitious. She's not like on oh, the greatest thing ever. Um, but that aspect of her character becomes just intolerable <laughs> over the course of the series because it's by the by the when I finally gave up, I read one where it was basically Honor could do literally anything like anything uh-huh. one of it was she had to she'd never picked up a sword in her life and had to defeat this planet's master swordsmith and uh-huh. spoiler alert she does it handily and she's right. like oh i'm not so great and so this like 
false modesty and like false humility it just like drips off of her which is really unfortunate and i think it's i think it's probably good that as the series progressed other hands have sort of gotten to work with this character because i think it's one of those situations where like without much editing or outside input it would be it's hard to kind of keep that character realistic right um so that's a little bit more about the series as a whole that i wanted to get into mm-hmm. but the point is on basilisk station that's a hard word to say basilisk basilisk station is uh is really an excellent book because she's kind of tossed into the deep ends of things uh and it does a good job of managing her relationship with somebody who should have gotten you know on paper should have gotten the promotion that she got um, so they have kind of an adversarial relationship from the beginning. You have these two huge political factions going on. And then you have Honor and her ship, the Fearless, just kind of trapped in the middle of all this. And she has to she has to figure it out. She has to work her way through in a way that will keep her crew safe and not make all of these political machinations that are happening in the background just explode. So she's walking a very fine line. And it's really just kind of up to her and her judgment to make this work. And so it makes her a really relatable character and it makes like the stress of that feel very real. It doesn't brush that off. That's part of it that she's, she's in this impossible situation and yet she still has to keep like doing her job. So it's very good. It's very good. Don't be daunted by the fact that it's like a 12 book series because this book absolutely stands alone. So read it. And if you like it, you can stop right there. If you like it and want to know more, you can continue on because this, the series will never end. So yeah, I don't know if it's still the case now, but I think for a long time, like this was the uh, the one people read as a space, like the space opera in yeah, town. Yeah, and like I don't know when maybe that. I mean, Leviathan Wakes probably was chasing after that a little bit, mm. um, and they put him out as much. But I, I mean, people still talk about Otter Harrington a lot. Yeah. So I'm surprised. How many books are there total? Do you know offhand? <sighs> Well, it's it's kind of so hard. Many. It's hard to track because there are the the straight up honor series, and uh-huh. then there's a lot that are set in the honor verse. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, with just with just her book, mm-hmm. uh, let me see if I can let me see if I can get that uh, in the in the straight up honor Harrington series. You have on Basilisk Station, which began in 1992, and then the most recent one was Uncompromising Honor. Uh, which came out just last year, October 2018. Mm-hmm. And you have a whole series. You have the Worlds of Honor anthologies, oh. the Crown of Slaves series, Yeesh. the Saganami Island series, oh. the Star Kingdom series, oh. the Manticore Ascendant series. Mm. So this is uh, many. This is a rich tapestry of mm-hmm. Honor Harrington uh, stories. But again, this one you can pick up and easily read by itself, and it doesn't leave you hanging. It's a, it's a very satisfying read. Hmm. So that is the first on my list. Okay. Uh, let's do a, let's do a user response. Let's see what we've got here. Got one on Facebook. Pop over on Facebook. Uh, Karen Canfield Maskins says The Giver by Lois Lowry. This is not a series that I've read. Oh. Have you read? It's another YA one. No, I know it is. Even slightly younger. Uh, yeah, I guess it is technically Mm -hmm. sci-fi. Um, nobody can feel emotions Mm -hmm. except for one person. Oh, So he can experience the world's history Yikes. so they can stop my wife read this like as a child and yeah. it like broke her she was oh. it's so sad about it and there's more in this series and not too long ago i was like oh here maybe if you read the sequel you'll feel better about it she's like get it away right. get it away from me um, so no i have not read this series but you i mean i've read the first book okay and that's it wasn't uh, wasn't there a movie that no one cared about yeah with taylor swift in it taylor jeff bridges taylor swift yeah like the no she wasn't the kid okay. she was like the love interest oh. Uh, or maybe a bully. I haven't seen the movie. Okay. Uh, Jeff Bridges was the giver. Oh. Uh, right. I I liked the book a lot. I only read it a few years ago. So oh, as okay. a 25 year old, mm-hmm. and really liked it. But it's more than a few years ago. But oh man, I am. I'm so freaking old. <laughs> was seven years ago. Okay. Well, thank you, Karen, for sharing that one with us. No, here. it was eight years ago. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> Eric's aging in front of our very eyes. <laughs> uh, give me one of your top three, buddy. All right. Uh, I'm gonna say Canticle. Oh man, I, hold on. I got the... Nothing's working. All right. Uh, A Canticle for Leibowitz by Walter M. Miller Jr., which is a story about the world is basically uh, becoming a nuclear holocaust. Uh, A couple of... uh, A sect of, like, Catholic monks are collecting, like, as much knowledge of the world they can to keep it safe. Yeah. Um, 
And so it's told in three different times. There's like the beginning where they find a bunker that's full of information and blueprints and everything. And the second part is where they're thinking about getting ready to share the information with the world. Maybe the world is slowly getting back to the point where they can have this knowledge. And then the third part is uh, every th- society's back together, but a n- nuclear war is about to break out oh. again. So now they're getting their information. And I, it's been a while. I think they head to space at the end. That sounds heavy. It is heavy. Dense. Um, but it's good. It's one of those things where it's so strange but at the same time, I found it very compelling uh, and moving. And it's one of those books where I don't know if Walter, I don't know if Miller Jr. is going for this, but it's the the spiritualness of it. It's it's kind of just universal where like the spiritualness is more just about like humans and their achievements and protecting the history of humanity from ourselves, okay. I guess. It's, it's, it's stuck with me, so... Yeah. Okay. It's interesting. Right. Um, we, I think we have that. The, we have that collection here. We do. Yeah. yeah. It's an it's an older one, and I don't think he ever wrote anything else. I'm really? not entirely sure. Interesting. Oh, nope. It says he wrote other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, um, what a turnaround that was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this this is a this is a weird one, but I I really like it. So okay. Yeah. Uh, you got another uh, user response to listener sure response? Do. I should say. So at. Uh, at Detroit Princess says the Foundation series. Oh, Asimov is most is most excellent. I've never read that. Isaac Asimov. Yeah. No, you read Robot. I did. Caves yeah. of Steel. Caves yeah. of Steel. I read that, and I read a collection called Bicentennial Man, which I really liked. I really mm, liked those okay. short stories. Uh, the first, uh, the first. I've read the first three Foundation books. Okay. So that's another one that's like the kind of looking at like human history in a very grand uh, scope. So. Earlier when we were doing the Sci-Fi Book Club, the first one we did the the robot one, uh, one of the one of the regulars from that book club was saying that uh, as much as he liked the robot one, he thought the Foundation series was like the pinnacle for Asimov. Yeah, I find the Foundation series to be kind of dry. I've picked it up a time or two and just thought, eh, I don't think so. It's it's very much like, and then on the fourth age, hmm. space was still vast. Yeah, I think it's just one of those things. But like the you, either you the space could not hold out the light <laughs> of humanity. But I the think stars. either you can get in there and roll with that or yeah. you can't. You know what I mean? Mm, it's yeah. just sort of like... You know what your what yeah. your tastes are. It's but. weird to think that the writer was so impartial to his own story. He was like, "I gotta gotta make sure this is very unbiased." Yeah. <laughs> so no emotions. All right. Uh, okay. So my next one in my top three is "Invasion of the Body Snatchers" by Jack Finney. And if you're a longtime listener, I'm sure you've heard me talk about Jack Finney before because I do it frequently. Uh, Jack Finney's my all-time favorite author. Uh, he's known for Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Most of his things were made into movies in the 50s and 60s, uh, including the Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which has been made into three or four movies at this point. Four movies, I, I think, think so. Yeah. yeah. What, what, whatever uh, Nicole Kidman's version was called. The Invasion. Nicole yeah. Kidman and Daniel Craig. Actually, a pretty good adaptation. Yeah. Uh, the, the one from the 50s with, with uh, Kevin McCarthy is excellent. Mm-hmm. I, I really think that's the best, though. The, um, the Donald Sutherland Leonard Nimoy one from the 70s, 70s. I want to say, is pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty good. But this book, I mean, if, if you're not familiar with the story, uh, because it's 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 sort of classic. I but mean, even you, Bugs Bunny did an episode. Yeah. It's one I think that sort of transcended. It's just become like, you know, oh, you know, it's one of the pod yeah. people. It's just kind of yeah. a thing that is kind of entered that Bugs the Bugs Bunny episode was the first time I ever yeah. came across. Do you remember that one? No. Where, like the carrots are there and like Elmer Fudd and Yosemite Sam and someone else, they're all uh, like body snatched. Mm-hmm. Bugs has to figure out what's happened. Mm-hmm. That's it. Interesting. It, it always kind of creeped me out as a kid. The book, I think, I think it suffers a little bit from the from the fact that it is such a like a pop cultural touchstone that people just sort of know, from, maybe familiar with the movies. Yeah. That I think sometimes it gets relegated to like, you know, just like the crawling hand or one of those like. Mm. you know, B-grade horror movies from the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just not that at all. We have the book here in our collection, but yeah. of course you can get it anywhere. Um, what the book does so well is it takes this premise, which is kind of, I don't know, I mean, it's kind of goofy that, you know, these giant like pods show up and just replace the people and, yeah. and they go on and live their lives. Um, what the book does so well is it it really firmly puts... Uh, your main characters in a way that you 
that you really feel like pulled along in this story. Like you feel like you're one of the gang of people who know it. And it's able to build up so much suspense because anytime the characters aren't together, you know, if even, even momentarily, like you just don't know anymore, you know, like you don't know Mm -hmm. who you can trust. And it's also brings up a lot of sort of philosophical things too, because as the pods replace people, they're, they're, retaining all of the memories so it's like they have all the memories in a lot of ways they are the same person but they are devoid of emotion Mm. so it just causes a lot of i don't know you kind of it makes you sort of um like you're not rooting for the pod people but it does humanize them in a way that you kind of understand what's going on and they are not treated as just one-dimensional like straight-up villains like Mm. they have sort of a compelling backstory and the things that led them to doing this is is an interesting one to kind of pick apart and look at um and it also it also uh it takes some of the it takes some of the tropes and things from that genre and and kind of turns it on its side you know you have in in some of those more melodramatic older sci-fi movies the b movies it's just also the action is just also way up here at the top you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like there's you don't have people acting in a realistic way a lot of times where invasion of the body snatchers they just have some moments where they're like this is crazy i'm freaking out i don't know what to do like this what are we going to do about this Mm -hmm. you know they have these really very human very relatable kind of conversations about this rather than just being on like high alert and oh no the whole time like they have these cool down moments where they're just like we got to figure this out somehow and one of my favorite things about the adaptation from the book to the movie is in the book, two of the characters are trapped. Uh, Miles and Becky are trapped in this room, and they've got you know they got these pod people all around them, and they know they can't escape, and so they're going to have to like go through them. And Miles is trying to figure out like, well, maybe if I take one out and I do this, you know. And she's like, well, I mean, there's two of us. I'm not just going to stand in this corner and scream. Like, let's fight these guys. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, that scene happens, and Miles goes out and fights them while Becky stands in the corner and screams. screams yeah. <laughs> it's just funny because, like, the book got it so much better than the movie. Yeah, the movie got it. Yeah, the movie just sort of dialed it back. Yeah. But if you watch the '50s movie, turn it off when he's in the streets yelling that they're here because oh, that's true. Uh, yeah, they, they were forced to make a another ending for it where in no way does the communist analogy win yeah so yeah, uh, yeah it's true it's true there it is a very clear moment of yeah. like oh okay so there's yeah. one more scene <laughs> yeah you're right it is it is a stronger ending without that yeah. uh anyway that's invasion of the body snatchers by jack finney but i would also recommend time and again uh as another good sci-fi S- jack Stephen finney. king basically cribbed body snatchers for salem's lot and he also cribbed uh, time and again for eleven twenty two sixty three. Ah, that's right, yeah. Uh, and he's very open about that. Like yeah. in the uh, afterward, he's mm. like, "I want to thank Jack Finney for, <laughs> you know, basically yeah. giving me these ideas." Yeah. yeah, Stephen King's a big Jack Finney fan, as we all should be, because he's excellent. Well. <laughs> uh, let me look here. Oh, you know what? What I should have mentioned this earlier. Okay. On Facebook, uh, one of our listeners, Travis, also mentioned Ender's Game. Oh. So what are you gonna yeah. do? People like it. Uh, he also mentions Dune. Mm-hmm. What's your experience with Dune? Dune? Frank Herbert's Dune. Uh, I liked it. I want to reread it sometime. Reread it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I, I, when I was in college, I bought a little pack at an antique store that had like three Dune books in uh-huh. it. And boy, I tried. <laughs> I sure tried. Yeah. I just couldn't go the distance. And yeah. that especially was at a time where I was like, I will never stop reading a book. Mm. And Dune... Yeah. Dune got me. Dune is about 75% glossary. It is. And you need it. You need it. It's like Dune might as well be in a foreign language, mm. I feel like. Because yeah. I maybe I'd feel differently about it now. I yeah. mean, I got through Battlefield Earth, right? That's so, true. Yeah, maybe. Uh, anyway, he mentions Ender's Game, Dune, Mechanical Failure, which I'm not familiar with. Nor I. Uh, the Vagrant, Starship's Mage, and Pillars of Reality. Ooh. All good titles. No yeah. authors listed, though, and I'm not really... I'm not familiar with any of those, so... Thank you, Travis, for sharing. <laughs> uh, and folks, you could do your due diligence, figure it out, and then you can tell us more. All right, what about you? What's what's number two on your list? Uh, number two, uh, I'm going to say, is Hyperion by oh, Dan yes. Simmons. I remember when you read this. Uh, do you? Oh, yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, it was at college. Yeah. Um, this book was such a shock, because if you look at the cover, it's bizarre. It's just a metal, spiky, yeah. monster piece of armor. It looks like... Uh, uh, Sauron from Lord of the Rings. There's just a boat out there in a wheat field with mushroom trees in the background. It's it's with a sherbet sky, and it's a very uh, what is this book cover? But what it is really 
is Dan. It's the Canterbury Tales in a sci-fi setting. Okay. So these this group of uh, these group of people going on a pilgrimage are sharing their experiences of what brought them to this voyage, and um, it, each story is like a different subgenre of sci-fi. Okay. So you get a weird, you get a cyberpunk kind of detective story. You okay. get a military sci-fi story. You get this like space opera, and it's all. It's 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 very dark. The characters are very flawed, um, but it's it's just compelling. And it, the each story really stands on its own. And the first book is so frustrating mm. because it ends before they get as they're getting to the end of their journey. So it's just all their stories. Okay. So it's not until the second book do we get to see you know what happens when they get there okay but the whole second book is like about the fall of like space civilization as it is okay um and them rebuilding and everything and that was also very compelling so and sorry i are they interconnected or are they all uh they're interconnected in that they deal with this monster that's on the cover i see okay um and that it's led them uh on this journey i think he looks Uh, like a nice guy no, he's he kills a lot of people. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. he kills a lot of people. It's uh, there are there are interconnections. Okay. Because one of the characters is in. I can't I I can't say stuff, but in the second book, you find how some of them are more related to each other's stories mm-hmm. uh, without even re- realizing it. But it's 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 good. It, it's one of those other books that has like stuck with me and kind of like changed my view. Like, oh, this is like a great way to tell you know a story okay. just be like i want to tell multiple genres yeah. of story in one in one book so maybe almost read the canterbury tales ah. i still haven't so bioshock okay. almost made me read Anne Rand, but i didn't do that so either this is, <laughs> so this is hyperion by dan simmons by dan say? simmons okay followed by fall of hyperion oh okay so oh, I would suggest. too bad yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got a live comment here on the Twitch stream about Dune. Uh, user Cheeto Head says, uh, "Dune is so good. The later books made it worth it to me." Mm. Interesting, because Frank Herbert has a series, and then um, Kevin J. Anderson picks up the Dune th- ball and like runs with it for a long time. So mm-hmm. there are there are sort of the core yeah. Dune books, and then there's a New whole movie. world built up around that. New movie coming out next year. Yeah, or something it's coming soon. Very soon. Yep. Yeah, the guy who did the new Blade Runner twenty forty nine yeah. has been collecting actors and everything, but he's been very snotty about it. He called it Star Wars for adults. At which point, I wanted to shove his head into a toilet. Hmm. So that was it for I, adults. Yeah, okay. <laughs> into a toilet for adults. Yeah, I understand. Well, I guess it'd be more embarrassing if I took him to an elementary school specifically to, to put his head in an elementary school toilet. Anyway, uh, there you go. Okay. Do you have another? Uh, comment here you want to add from from the old internet skyhawk says clay's ark by octavia butler they shared the book cover i don't know anything about this book i've never heard it they say a genuine with... sci-fi thriller as hard to stop reading as the andromeda strain mm. so very first book club i did at the david a Howe public library ladies and gentlemen andromeda's... the andromeda strain mm. yeah by mr michael Crichton. yeah yeah boy remember that pervy book michael Crichton wrote called odds on that we did for a special episode Oh yeah, it is yes. <laughs> very sexual that book. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. So let's see. Is this? I'm, I guess I'm on this my is last, your last now. one. Okay. So my last book. I kind of was on the fence about this because I think in some ways it's kind of a lame choice. So let me explain myself. Okay. Okay. Uh, it is The Martian by Andy Weir. So explain yourself. <laughs> I love this book. I I think it's an exceptionally well-written book. I think it just grabs you right from the start and you just burn through it because it is so compelling. The character is just he's just such a normal guy, you know what I mean? He's mm-hmm. just kind of just a schlubby guy like growing poop potatoes and watching Three's Company, you know? He's mm-hmm. just it it's so great to have that be like the hero of this story. Mhm. And so I think the writing, it just kind of stands above. I think it really sets itself apart, mm-hmm. which is shocking because... You might like Artemis then. Because <laughs> Artemis, also by Andy Weir, is horrible. Yeah, that's one of the horrible. worst books. I just, I mean, that kind of... Mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, you usually say that the like the sophomore effort suffers a little bit like Boy. from the first book, but this was like... Yeah. This was an insane drop off. This yeah. was like when you step off a pool thinking there's a step there and you're in an Olympic pool that's 12 feet deep. Right. That's how deep a plunge it was yeah. from the Martian to He sunk to, to the bottom of the 12 it feet was, pool. It was bad. And then it was filled with poop. But um, the Martian, 
is definitely worth the read. And, yeah. and the, one of the reasons why I ultimately settled on this for my last one is because I think it is such an excellent gateway sci-fi book, you know, because you have a lot of people who just hear sci-fi and they're like, no, no thanks. In fact, we got a comment like that when we asked, say, yeah, thank you we, for that. When everybody. we asked about yeah. like, tell us some of your favorite sci-fi stories. And that's not uncommon that people just see sci-fi and are like, mm-hmm. nope. Yeah. I'm sure he tried. enjoyed Matt Damon's film, the Martian. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think something like the Martian is, I mean, it is legitimate sci-fi on its own. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, it, it's set. Oh, in, I know what you mean. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had a, set in the, near, set in the near future. So it, you know, it still feels like our world. It's still very approachable. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not a dune situation where you need to learn a whole new like vocabulary to read it it's a simple um it's a simple story that takes good sci-fi elements and puts them in a way that's like easily digestible so uh, and i don't say that to take away anything from the book right. it's not dumbing it down it's not yeah. it's not a simplified version of sci-fi no it's uh the martians very much like hard sci-fi yeah where it's like get ready for numbers get ready for facts yeah get ready for three's how company many calories it takes to yeah. do any task it's yeah, all that's it's absolutely all true i mean you see it all it's all on display yeah uh but i but i do think that it it is one that has a good cross appeal because mm. whether you're a sci-fi fan or not mm-hmm. i think that you'll find something compelling to read in the martian mm. uh i will say that the film adaptation is probably the most faithful page yeah. to screen adaptation that i've ever seen so much so that if you've read and liked the book, there's almost no point mm. in watching the movie. Yeah, that's that's true. When I when we were watching that in theaters, I was like, I, I understand that this yeah. is good, but I've just seen it before, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. So yeah, that that would be my my final one here would be The Martian by Andy Weir. Yeah. Um, I typically don't like. I don't know how you feel about this kind of thing, but oh. when I'm when I was like cultivating a list of sci-fi books I read, mm-hmm. I kind of automatically discount. Um, like Star Wars, Star Trek, or Quantum Leap, or that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like I don't really put those in that. Would you? Would you no. kind of? You I distinguish mean, I between? guess you could put Star Trek. Um, so, I mean, Star Wars is 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 very far from like legitimate sci-fi. Yeah, I mean, it is in terms of like when when you get to like the alien species and like their races yeah. and like their all that stuff. That's very sci-fi. But when yeah. you're also doing the Force and yeah. magic it's and more of a explosions fantasy, in space more of a fantasy yeah vibe. yeah i do i mean i've definitely I've read always, yeah i've always thought of it as uh science fantasy yeah. and i think i think with star trek you have a lot there's a lot of star trek books out there that i think mm-hmm. really fit comfortably with sci-fi like the, right. like the plots and the things that you're going through um like sit really joe well haldeman with star trek. yeah exactly world without end by joe haldeman is a great example um that that is a sci-fi novel that you just want more of, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like the confines of Star Trek make it so like, no, 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 no. Tell us more about this world you right. created. Um, and then you have other ones that are really more focused on the characters. And I wouldn't necessarily put on a list. Probably if I had to pick a Star Trek book, it would be world without end by Joe Haldeman. But Vonda McIntyre's the entropy effect uh, is probably my favorite Trek book of all time. And that has the standard, you know, space uh, sci-fi elements that you would expect from Star Star Trek, but it also has an excellent sci-fi plot that is both compelling and a little dark at times. Mm. Uh, so yeah, if you were if you were if you were going to pick up one and were a big sci-fi fan, I would say World Without End by Joe Haldeman or Entropy Effect by uh, Vonda McIntyre. Vonda McIntyre, a big name in sci-fi as well. Absolutely. Recently passed. Absolutely, yes. Uh, let's see. We've got a few more comments here. Right. Uh, let's, yes. I'm going to choose one. Let's see. Uh, uh, Tina on Facebook says, Feed by M.T. Anderson. Now, you're familiar with this one, right? No, this is a different feed. Oh. I, you're thinking of the... You're right that I read a sci-fi book called Feed about okay. a bunch of bloggers yeah. dealing with the zombie apocalypse. This is not that. Political campaign. I hated it so <laughs> much. That might be one of the worst books I've ever read. Okay. But what is this then? Uh, un- unknown. Oh, to this guy okay. right here. So the one, the one you're talking about, was that a series or was it just? Yeah, a, it was uh, like three books. I did not read the you, others. You didn't go the distance. No, was it just too like political for you? Or no, it wasn't the politics. It was just oh. it was so boring and dumb, and it was very much like bloggers are going to change the world. You can't right. shut up the bloggers. It it annoyed me. Okay, <laughs> it was it was made. It felt like it was made so that bloggers would blog about the book. Oh, I see. And then get more. It was oh. It was gross. Well, I hated it. Uh, <laughs> and that is not what we're talking about here. Tina's suggestion, Feed by M.T. Anderson, is a young adult novel. Uh, was a finalist for the National Book Award in 2002. Won several awards, including the Golden Duck Award oh. uh, for Hal Clement Award for Young Adult. But this is the, in a nutshell, identity crisis, consumerism, and star-crossed teenage love in a futuristic society where people connect to the internet via feeds implanted in their mm. brains. 
scenes. Yeah. Okay. Just do it already. Gosh. Yeah. I don't care who does it at this point. Just put. You're gonna sign up. You're gonna get one. Just put cybernetics in my brain. Hmm. Okay. Just do it. Just well, stop talking about you don't it. Don't have to do yell. It. You don't have to yell at me. I'm I'm right here and I'm listening to you. Uh, who's in charge of Apple right now? Oh, I don't know. Get them. I'm gonna scream in their face Hold if they on. put. <laughs> Roger, can you get us? Can you give us the uh, number three? Your last. Yeah, I uh, I thought about this one uh, in the same way you thought about yours, mainly because this is newer. And there's a lot of other books that I really like, but uh, Station Eleven has yeah. stuck with me. And I, w- I picked the other ones were older that I picked, so mm-hmm. I decided to choose the like one of my newer favorite yeah. ones. Also, uh, a book club selection that we yeah. did together a few years back, and I was one of the only ones who liked it. Yeah, you were. Uh, Station Eleven is also a post-apocalyptic story after a virus goes and kills out a lot of humanity, or mm-hmm. at least a lot of North America. No, the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are pockets of survivors and. It it seemed like a book maybe I wouldn't really like. Uh, the the writing style is very poetic, even though it's it's prose all the way through. It's okay. not poetry, but there's something about it that's very. Uh, there's stuff in it that's very beautiful, and it's it's usually depressing, like talking about the landscape and like uh, a dead New York being covered in snow mm. and all of this stuff. And it's it just kind of left me slightly more hopeful so i don't know it all three books i've picked have left a very like emotional mm. uh connection or emotional imprint on me okay um versus like oh that's cool mm-hmm. so i guess maybe that's what's doing it for me okay throughout life uh there it's all very like the grander scope of humanity kind okay. of stuff but yeah station 11 uh emily emily st john mandel is that yeah that? um and it was, I mean, it was kind of a big name for a while, too, the book. Yeah, it, it yeah, it did, it did well. Kind of surprised it, it hasn't become a show or something. Yeah, it's made for it. Yeah, H- HBO or yeah. AMC yeah, or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's following a bunch of different characters who don't really interact. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's some intersection with certain characters, but there's other characters who just never run in yeah. to each other. But it's, it's just interesting. And it's another one of those, it's kind of like Canticle Leberwitz where... Some people follow Station Eleven is a comic book, oh, but it's not right. That's right. It's a yeah. comic book that uh, a woman did, and she only did like two issues of mm-hmm. it. And I, so it was like a small, like artsy comic book, yeah, but, prestige format, yeah, prestige format. <laughs> and it kind of becomes a blueprint for a cult. But yeah. also, uh, one person takes this comic book and be, forms a cult, but another person f- takes this, and it's like what gets her through life. Uh, her normal life and another person's turning an airport into like a history museum for humanity so uh, it's interesting I think it's kind of an easy uh, it's it's dark stuff but it's kind of like a breezy post-apocalyptic book hmm yeah yeah I don't know I don't know why it didn't didn't really click with me but yeah. I, I wasn't a fan yeah and I think you're right I think the book club was largely also not fans yeah you had a couple in there who were like oh yeah i loved it who got it like you i don't think it just it just clicked with you in a way that uh yeah didn't didn't for me yeah so i also like ring world uh starship troopers see i haven't read any larry niven yeah so i need to i need to get on there starship troopers yeah i have read starship troopers and rendezvous with uh ranma felt like a very cool almost Crichton, uh, michael Crichton like sci-fi story with no real ending which i guess is kind of like michael Crichton in a lot of ways yeah, so i suppose it is yeah dry characters no <laughs> ending big sci-fi ideas we've that done many you... michael Crichton episodes if you yeah. want to go back and visit yeah um yeah i think i think i pretty much covered all of mine okay that i like the best and thanks to our listeners who sent it in sorry we didn't get to all of them but keep sending them yeah we always like to hear from you you can find us at soundcloud.com slash all the books or anywhere you find your podcasts take a minute to rate and review the show share it on social media you can find us on twitter at all the book show facebook at david a Howe public library you can email us at wellsville at stls.org an email yeah we use that we yeah. have an all the book show oh do email. we oh really yeah okay oh well, yeah use that then <laughs> okay all the book show at gmail.com you yeah can, you can find us there that's you, that's where you can find us on youtube yeah and like i said we've got some exciting episodes coming up fred van lant is here next week <gasps> we've got lauren james we've got david devorkin coming back yeah uh, it's a lot of fun stuff in the month david of july DeVorkin, and uh, beyond well-known gotham critic yeah gotham <laughs> critic nasa scientist sci-fi, sci-fi writer author. <laughs> yep Yep, those are his uh, his main main things. <laughs> uh, we're in the summer reading program right now. Craft classes, book clubs, 
uh, special events, movies every Wednesday morning. The book sale is just about to start. <gasps> Tuesdays Balloon on the Terrace. Rally. Yep. Balloon Rally is the 20th of July. We're going to be open 8 to 2, where we unveil the big book sale. We do tours. It's good times. A lot of things going on at the David A. Hub Public Library. Anything you want to mention in particular? I am very thirsty. I'm thirsty, too. Yeah. Yeah. Just talking sci-fi. We're showing uh, this Friday at 4.30, we're showing My Hero Academia, Two Heroes, Ooh. the movie. Fun. Yeah, we watched it at Teen Night. It was uh, a couple, like a month or when it came out new. It it was fine. Okay. Um, it showing that better. down in the auditorium. Yeah. And okay. then the one after that is Dragon Ball Super Broly. Not Evolution. Not Dragon Ball Evolution. No, we're not showing Dragon Ball <laughs> Evolution. <laughs> uh, for our senior matinee, we're so showing... You, you enjoyed that one. You know, when it first came out, I did enjoy it. My wife rewatched it recently, and I caught some of it and was like, oh, this is not good. This is bad. <laughs> Our senior matinee for July is going to be on July 23rd mm. uh, at 2 o'clock, mm-hmm. and we're showing Forbidden Planet. Oh, Great classic yeah. sci-fi starring Leslie Nielsen before he was uh, known primarily as a comedian. Yeah, Was he Mr. So. Magoo? Yeah, he was Mr. Okay. Magoo. He was Mr. Magoo. But he's a dashing hero in this one. Yeah, he was got, a serious actor. He got actor Robbie the Robot in there. For a, lot a while. Of, it's, a, it's a good movie. If you Until haven't seen Naked it, check Gun it out. Naked Gun series? Naked Gun, yeah. Airplane. Yeah, yeah I think Police Squad was maybe oh, the boy. first yeah. real thing where Leslie Nielsen was like, this is me now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're going to be showing a Forbidden Planet. So I hope you can join us for that and all the other mm-hmm. fun programs going on. Uh, I think that's going to do it yeah. for episode 201. We're going to go get some pink lemonade. Yeah. That sounds very refreshing. Yes. Thanks again to all the listeners who provided feedback. Thanks for Stephen Van Valkenburg for joining us on our little segment. And we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.